Hey, Bankless Nation. This is the fourth week of July, and it is time Friday morning for your weekly roll-up. David, I am super excited about this weekly roll-up. We've got so much to unpack here. We always do, and this is always, like I say, my favorite piece of crypto content to produce. In this weekly roll-up, just like every other weekly roll-up, we go through the markets. What is the market saying? Then we go through the releases, what got released in the last week of crypto. Then we go through the news cycle events. Uh, and then we go into some ecosystem takes. Who has some interesting opinions in the week of crypto? Then we go to what David and Ryan are excited about. And we finish things off with the meme of the week. Ah, oh, the meme of the week. Can't wait, man. This is going to be a great episode. David, before we get in, we've got some PSAs, man. The mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about the first public service announcement. Mm -hmm. You have COVID, dude. I'm looking at your background. It's yeah. looking like you have COVID right now. I, I have the COVID. Yeah, I got it. I got it at yeah, CC in Paris. Took a negative test, which allowed me to get out of the country because you have to take a negative test. And so I took got my negative result back. I'm like, oh, great. I made it through ECC without without uh, COVID. Uh, came back home uh, and then had started having allergy symptoms, which were very normal for me in, in Seattle. So didn't really think anything of it. Uh, but then on Tuesday, I got really, really achy. So went and got a test, came back positive. Uh, like, uh, did my did my responsible thing of tweeting that out to let make uh, let make sure everyone knew that if they got in contact with me in ECC that I had COVID. Uh, I don't know who I got it from. Obviously, there's a bunch of people around ECC who also got COVID, so I'm not not the only one. But there's a, a very interesting a theme of a bunch of people who uh, all got vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. A bunch of people who uh, got COVID were all vaccinated, uh, and so we're all we all have like relatively mild symptoms. I'm not I'm not like dead or anything. I'm still doing the weekly roll up as normal. I'm pretty I feel pretty achy. Uh, but it's just like a relatively uh, normal cold. Then there's a bunch of people who also have all of these same symptoms, but when they got their negative, they got a, a test and it came back negative. So that's kind of weird. That is super weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I can attest to that, David, because we recorded podcasts the last two days where you've mm -hmm. also had COVID and mm -hmm. you've seemed like, uh, like you're not feeling great, but still okay enough to, to right. do podcasting, still yeah. okay enough to like do some work you know, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So it's, it's not been as bad as some other cases. And you think that's because likely your vaccine mitigated that, huh? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And one of the reasons why I wanted to put this PSA in there is because like, well, now that I have my firsthand experience with COVID and also having a vaccine and then also tweeting about it as like a public figure in the space, you actually realize how many people are out there who are like the never vaxxer, anti-vaxxer camp. And it is like, kind of sobering and frustrating. Uh, and so uh, I cannot imagine what this would feel like without a vaccine. Uh, it would be way, I'm generally really achy, like sitting in this chair is not even like a comfortable thing. And that's with the vaccine. I cannot imagine what it would be like without a vaccine. And I want to go to all the, uh, one of the ironic things about the my Market Monday this post uh, this week in Bankless was talking about like the importance uh, the importance of being in person and how, how much <laughs> I value being in person at these events. Yeah. And then I come back with COVID. But I totally yeah. intend on going to all the other like in real life crypto events. And one of the reasons why like we haven't been able to return to normal in society is because people are refusing to take the vaccine and and or wear a mask where, when they should. And so like... It's they are those in my mind, those people are getting in the way of having all these like beautiful, awesome crypto Ethereum events that I want to have. Uh, and so if you want to go to those events, you got to get a vaccine because you're making it bad for the rest of us. 
There's your PSA, guys. All right, PSA. let's talk about a, another PSA. This is uh, this is another conference that's coming up. You actually don't have to attend in person. Right. Would mm-hmm. be great if we had more conferences in in person, but not all of those are practical. Mm-hmm. But that this is called SmartCon. We've been talking about it the last couple of weeks on the rollup. Uh, this is sort of your last chance to sign up, guys. So if you're listening to this on Friday, go uh, click the link in the show notes, the smartcontractsummit.io. This is a free conference put on by the Chainlink folks. Tons of DeFi um, researchers, tons of DeFi developers, tons of people with projects. David, you and I will mm-hmm. be there with a DeFi with a panel on EIP-1559, actually. Um, we just secured guests for that panel. Who's going to mm-hmm. be on that panel with us? Yeah, we got some guests that have not been on the Bankless program yet, and then one who has. Uh, we have James Wang, who recently put out a report on Ethereum, uh, talking about the combination of EIP-1559 and Proof-of-Stake. Uh, we brought on Squish Chaos, who coined the term the triple halvening, and also to how Ethereum people should dream bigger dreams about what could be with regards to the value of Ether under the ultrasound money paradigm. More bullish than us. <laughs> More bullish than us. Wow, that's hard. Uh, and then yep. uh, familiar territory, uh, DC investor coming in uh, to fill up the panel. And so we got those three absolute rock stars joining us on an EIP 1559 and overall bullish ether panel. So check that out, guys. Get some tickets. Come come check out that panel. All of the other educational events. It's like a, a two to three day um, conference and uh, make sure you're there. Uh, David, PSA number three next week is actually EIP 1559 week. This mm-hmm. is the week EIP 1559 is scheduled to launch. It looks like we're all on track to launch. That could happen uh, as early as August 4th, but it might bleed into August 5th. And that seems a bit more likely because it's based on um, the uh, an, an actual block block time, not a period of time. And there's something called the ice age, which is slowing down block time uh, here lately. So it's difficult to pinpoint exactly mm-hmm. when that will launch, but it's probably be- going to be between the 4th or the 5th of August. And what are we doing next week to celebrate EIP 1559 week? I know we have a ton of events scheduled. Yeah, we have three different things that we are doing. On Tuesday, we are doing our regular State of the Nation but it's also not a regular state of the nation. We are bringing on Tim Bako to help us moderate a EIP 1559, uh, how would you call this? Like the most forefront Dude, expert panel, all-star yeah. panel, right? So we've done, we did our EIP 1559 episode with Hazu, which was absolutely great. And again, if you need to get up to speed with EIP 1559, go listen to that podcast episode. It's titled EIP 1559 because it is the full entire subject matter of what EIP 1559 is from zero to 100 a uh, really great episode. Hazu is going to be there on that panel, but in joining him, there's also going to be uh, Barnaby from the, the Ethereum Foundation, Matt Garnett from Consensus Mesh, and then Mika Zoltu, who's a just a major EIP-1559 contributor. These are not your 101, 201 level EIP-1559 people. This is the leading forefront experts as to what EIP-1559 is, along with uh, Tim Bako, who's going to help us moderate to ask us some of the questions that like Ryan and I aren't even smart enough to ask. And so this is going to be, if you are trying to become God status in terms of EIP 15559 knowledge. You got <laughs> who doesn't want that? that? Who doesn't want that? God status EIP 1559 panel. Uh, hopefully, I'm hyping it up appropriately. And that is just that, that's the just first one event. event. That's just the yeah. first event. That's on Tuesday. On Wednesday, 
which is in theory maybe when EIP-1559 goes live, we are going to be teaming up with the boys over at ETH Hub, Eric Connor, Anthony Cezano, for our live stream. Many of you have joined us for the uh, Proof of Stake uh, Beacon Chain uh, kickoff uh, live stream, which we did at, I think, like 4 in the morning. My roommate got very mad at me that day um, <laughs> for having that live stream go, and I woke him up. Uh, but uh, we're doing it again uh, for EIP-1559. When that gets... Uh, when As we get closer and closer, we will be live streaming that with the guys from ETH Hub. So join us for that. That'll be on the YouTube. And then, as we just discussed, Thursday the 5th is the SmartCon panel with James Wang, Squish Chaos, and DC Investor all about uh, Ethereum in a post-EIP-1559 world and overall what's next for the role of Ether as it relates to EIP-1559. So get stoked for EIP-1559 week. That is next week. And a good way not to miss all of that, of course, is if you are watching this on YouTube, subscribe to this YouTube channel. All of this will be published there, so you can check that out. David, another PSA. Another we've, PSA. We've got a live stream that mm-hmm. is happening tonight. So this is uh, Friday when mm-hmm. folks are, are watching that. That is a Daily Gway live stream. I don't know if you guys are celebrating the next PSA, which is it's Ethereum's sixth birthday as you guys are listening to this, as mm-hmm. you guys are watching it or what. But uh, tell us about that live stream tonight. Yeah, Anthony and I, we try and do these every now and then, but it's been getting harder and harder and harder as COVID has uh, gone further and further into the, you know, people are going back and doing their daily lives. uh, And so the Friday evening time, it's been harder to get uh, a live stream scheduled. But since I'm in quarantine mode, uh, Anthony and I, and so Anthony is in lockdown mode because Australia is like super duper locked down. We will be doing the the Bankless Daily Great live stream tomorrow evening, or excuse me, Friday evening tonight for the listener. Uh, So if you guys are also in quarantine mode for whatever reason, reason or just want to tune into me and Anthony talk about what's going on in the world of Ethereum, tune into that, which again, like Rand said, uh, a significant part of it will be dedicated to the fact that it is Ethereum's sixth birthday today, Friday, Ethereum, July 30th, uh, the first block ever for Ethereum was mined on July 30th, 2015, and it is Ethereum's sixth birthday today. So happy birthday, Ethereum. Happy birthday, Ethereum. You know, six years old, 250 billion dollar network not too bad for a six-year-old i can't believe uh it's still so young you know mm-hmm. half the age of of bitcoin at this point we've come a long way so definitely something to celebrate wow guys a lot of psas Wait, today b- before but before we go important. any further ryan yeah here's a here's a ethereum birthday pop quiz trivia moment for you what block oh, are we on right now dude i don't know i don't know that <laughs> i don't measure thing in things in block time i'll never forget the time when um Wait, was it Vitalik who told us like a block time when uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we were going to schedule a, like a conversation or something? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't speak in block time, so why don't you tell me? I'm going to fail this quiz. Uh, roughly 13 million block number is is what'll but it'll be out tomorrow at the time of recording. Yeah, 13 million. Okay, mm-hmm. there you go. That's a lot of blocks That's every six blocks. seconds. Impressive. All right, David, do you want to get to markets? Let's do it. All right, markets. Where are we going? Where have we come from with Bitcoin this week? Bitcoin, we started the week at 32,000 and a half, 32,500. And we hit the high of $41,000. And we are currently just below $40,000 at 39,800. So Bitcoin, pretty good week up and to the right for basically the whole entire week. Uh, Interestingly, there was this price drama going on and this rumor that Amazon would be accepting crypto and Bitcoin as payment. And that turned out to be a false rumor, but that rumor jacked up the price specifically on the 26th. 
Is that what this 20, huge spike is? That's what that huge spike is. Yeah. So Bitcoin on the 26th, it, jack, it went from 35,000. And then like just a few moments later, it was at 38 and a half thousand. And this actually caused a significant number of short liquidations. Usually you only see long liquidations come when people were over leveraged and then the price goes down. But we actually saw short liquidations, which caused the price to jump up. So that's what happened in the last week of Bitcoin price. Yeah, that's funny. I, I, I tweeted out that uh, it seemed like um, Jeff Bezos, somebody told Jeff Bezos that Elon bought, had Bitcoin, you know? So he's like, he's like <laughs> uh, FOMOing in with billionaire stuff, but it turned out none of that is true. I don't mm -hmm. even know if Bezos is interested in crypto at all. Right. I've never heard him never heard comment, a comment on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess that remains true. So what's the story behind a whole bunch of the, the shorters who are liquidated with this price drop? Yeah, I would say so crypto markets, they have momentum to them, significant momentum. And that's why bear markets can just be super prolonged, regardless of like strong, fundamental, positive catalysts and vice versa. While bull markets can go on for way too long, even though prices get out way too far ahead of its ski tips, crypto markets have momentum. And I think people have been trying to position themselves using that frame of reference, right? Oh, like, you know, Ether capped out at 4,000, Bitcoin capped out at 60,000. And now we had those, those, that big wreckage moment where everyone got liquidated. And then and now it turned, it went from time for number to go up into time for number, number to go down. And I think a lot of people piled into the number go down trade and too many people piled into that trade. And also I think the four year cycles are broken in my opinion. And so too many people got short too quickly and they were betting on uh, a down market but instead they got a crab market and in, in a crab market things also go up like at least for the short term and so a lot of uh, a hopping uh, crab is, yeah it's a hopping hopping crab right jumps yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember I was either last week or two weeks ago, Ryan, we were talking about how the market was uh, crabs with uh, bear arms to this yeah. week. It's a crab with bull horns. Yeah, with uh, with with strong legs, able to <laughs> able to leap and jump and do all sorts of tricks. So one billion of Bitcoin futures was liquidated in yep. in tw a twelve hour period of time. This is on July twenty sixth. That's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. All right, mm -hmm. what's the story with ETH? So we are happy because we are above two K. That is uh, a good sign. But uh, where were we and where have we come this week? Yeah, Ether started at twenty three hundred dollars, hit a low of twenty two at fifty. The high for the week is $23.50, and the current price is $2,325. Pretty flat week for, for ETH, if you keep on zooming out, Ryan. It didn't really do too much. Not a lot of volatility um, in the last, like, seven days or so. Uh, but, you know, generally pretty, pretty flat with a slight up into the right trend, I would say. It kind of uh, followed that Bitcoin jump with the Amazon mm -hmm. news and then sort of, you know, tracked mm -hmm. similar to, to Bitcoin um, but let's talk about that. So how about the ratio? What are we looking at this week? Yeah, the ratio is in this, uh, what I would call a falling wedge pattern. Uh, again, not a trader, but this is the pattern that I'm seeing. We are at uh, kind of a low price of 0 0.058, a, a local low, still a historical, a historically high price. Um, I would like to see that number come up above 0 0.06, but still in that crab season territory. So nothing too significant to the report here. There's generally a theme of people kind of piling into a Bitcoin trade right now. Uh, Bitcoin tends to lead the market. And so while we are in crab season, people are kind of looking for Bitcoin to be the first thing to break that crab season trend. Uh, and so uh, there's just a little bit of rumors going around of people just kind of rotating into Bitcoin, be thinking that it's going to be the first mover to break out of the trade. We will see. 
Yeah, definitely. We'll see. Um, how about DeFi Pulse? What is the total locked value of DeFi this week? Yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, last week it was something like 56 or $57 billion, and we are up to $66 yeah. billion locked in DeFi. So definitely broke out of a local trading or local, uh, it's funny to call it a trading range, but still kind of works. The chart, it's higher than it has been in the last like month or so, uh, coming in at $66.6 billion locked in DeFi. More getting locked up. And then how about uh, the DeFi Pulse Index? So this is a measure, of course, of the health of DeFi tokens. Uh, where are we on the week? Yeah, same story, slight up into the right trend coming in at just roughly $300 per DPI token, uh, higher than it was, I believe it was like 285-ish last week as well. So same story as Ether, not uh, as up as much as Bitcoin is, but still up into the right. Yeah, it seems like they're all kind of correlated together too, like uh, mm -hmm. DeFi, Bitcoin, and ETH and, the, and this last week's moved in the crab market in general. It's been sort of the case. How about uh, the DPI to ETH chart? I know this is a ratio we've been tracking for a while mm -hmm. to see if we are on the precipice of another DeFi summer season. Hasn't come. We're mm -hmm. in July going into August and right. we still haven't seen DeFi summer. Is that the story? Is the story continuing there? Yeah, the the deep DeFi tokens are definitely not going to be the first ones to move, in my opinion. Uh, if people are waiting for Bitcoin, people are going to be waiting for Ether before they're waiting for uh, D, uh, DeFi tokens. So coming in at 0.1285 DPI per ETH, which is below my 0.13 bottom call, but still in the proximate <laughs> area. So I'm still pretty happy about it. Yeah. So has it been two weeks that we've been below, David? No, we we were at point point zero three five one three three five. No, we're we're fine. We're okay, fine. we're fine. We'll check next week. We'll check. We'll be checking back on this. Bankless yeah. listeners, got to hold David accountable for his calls here. Um, all right, let's talk about this. The Bankless Bed Index. So this is a new index put together by the Bankless DAO, of which we are uh, huge proponents of. Super exciting because mm -hmm. it is an opportunity to get a third Bitcoin, a third ETH, and a third. DeFi. So that's through the DPI index. So it's like an index within an index, but you just kind of buy it, set it and forget it. Uh, nice asset. I think we're going to be looking at this uh, on, a, on a weekly basis. Um, this is kind of a proxy, I guess, for mm -hmm. crypto success in general, for crypto monies and also DeFi. And uh, we are up on the week from, it looks like, what, 100 to about uh, 115 on this. Mm -hmm. um, and we did make a promise, I think, or you did on Twitter, David, that uh, you know somebody who, wh wh what's going on here? Is this a pancake? Is this an yeah, Olympics? Yeah, pancake? so people people make pancake art, right? And uh, yeah. th there's a lot of uh, memery jokes with the whole bed index, like you know, get get in bed with Bankless, get in you know, breakfast in bed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, eat all your three food groups, Bitcoin, Ether, DPI. Uh, and so there was an Olympic pancake uh, art made. And, and then we tweeted out saying, if somebody makes this for the bed index, we'll feature it in the roll up. So here it is. Somebody's making the bankless. <laughs> awesome. And this is also bankless DAO. The, the, this is an index out of the DAO. Bankless DAO, the bed index pancake. Here it is for all the viewers on the YouTube. So make sure you eat all your food groups and also your yummy pancakes as well. Um, Got the color scheme right too, which is impressive. So mm -hmm. like... You know, not just the design, but the color. Do, who do we have to thank for that? Uh, looks like uh, XOFI3 uh, with the ultrasound money meme uh, emojis in the uh, Twitter handle. So, so thank you for that. Uh, Ryan, if thank you go you back to the, uh, to, to the bed page, Bankless uh, yeah. listeners who are re you know, religious listeners of the, the weekly roll-up, they will know that we go through Bitcoin and then Ether and then DPI. Well, what is the bed index other than Bitcoin and Ether and DPI? And so while we talk about 
Bitcoin and Ether and DPI separately, uh, when we want to really summarize the market section, we're just going to turn to the bed index. And that is what it's for. And so while we'll talk about Bitcoin was up this much, Ether was up this much, and DPI was up this much, when we summarize it all together and show that, uh, D, that the bed index was up 11% of the week, there is your weekly average defined by the bed index. And that's why the bed index is so cool. It is literally all, like I said, the food groups of crypto assets. And I put out this tweet thread <laughs> last. There's uh, only three food groups. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Um, the Bitcoin, Ether and DPI cover everything. And so I put out this tweet thread that kind of goes into why I think the bed index is going to be the best performing crypto asset index ever. Uh, and that's because it, it hits all of the major groups. It hits the crypto monies and the crypto finances. And it, it does it, in my opinion, in a 50-50 ratio, right? So Bitcoin and Ether, these are crypto monies and DPI is crypto finance. But Ether itself is also an index of Ethereum itself thanks to the of power of EIP-1559 because EIP-1559, it links the Ethereum application layer, the Ethereum economy to the value and scarcity of ETH. So as finance on Ethereum grows, Ethereum grows, grows more scarce. This is the ultrasound money uh, thesis. And so Ether, the asset, which is why we all love it so much, is one part money, one part uh, exposure to Ethereum, the economy. And so it's, it's a little bit of both. It's 50% money, it's 50% finance. Bitcoin is 100% money and DPI is 100% finance. And so this is, in my mind, the most balanced perfected index of all time. And while you think it's such a simple index because it's only three tokens, Bitcoin, Ether, DPI, DPI has 14 tokens inside of it. And while Bitcoin and Ether are forever and they're never going to change, DPI has the ability to update and iterate and evolve as the Ethereum app layer does. And so you get the balance of monies that should not change, should not be tinkered with, and then finance, which always changes and always updates. And so it's both... It's both the long-term hold and the flexible uh, token that updates along with the growth of the industry. I just think it's super elegant, and that's why I'm super bullish on bed. Yeah, I think it's a great mix here too, David. And you know, it's, uh, largely po super positive feedback. But you know, some people have pinged me and been like, "Well, you know, been listening to Bankless. It's clear you guys are a bit more bullish mm -hmm. ETH than you are maybe Bitcoin, or th though we are bullish both." And I would have loved to have seen maybe a ratio of fifty percent. ETH to some lower percentage of Bitcoin. But like, you know what the response to that is? Mm. Buy some additional ETH. Sure. You could buy BED right. and then buy some additional ETH or maybe Bitcoin. And then LP depending. it and get those fees. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You can LP right. it in mm -hmm. into uh, Uniswap and so take advantage of the success of um, BED index trading transaction fees. So there's lots of ways to play this, guys. Mm -hmm. Really cool new primitive. I think that's been added to the stack. We'll be talking about that uh, in the future too. But there's um, also a comment David to be made there about the credible neutrality that is part of the bankless thesis. Bankless, we like credible neutrality and that one-third, one-third, one-third allows us to be unopinionated as to what's going to do well. And the indices are supposed to rebalance, right? So as one outperforms the other, the indice rebalances. And so that one third split between all three is a credibly neutral way to do this. And that's what bank, the bankless thesis is all about. You know, the only thing I would have loved to see if, if there was some sort of a completely trustless version of Bitcoin on Ethereum, right. which we don't have now. Right. This uses wrapped BTC, right. which is still somewhat banked. We have BitGo as a custodian, right. um, but perhaps in the future, I think this index could change. It could add staking assets of ETH. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, it, could, it could add different variations of Bitcoin as well. Um, David, let's talk about this. Axie mm -hmm. continues to grow. And uh, some people thought it was like just a, off the top, but it is still crushing it. 
in terms of market cap. Um, let me let me switch to market cap actually here. So we had almost hit three billion, billion, almost three billion market cap for Axie Infinity. We're down a little bit on that, but is that really the story here? Is like Axie hasn't stopped, right. <laughs> like it's just continuing to uh, to pump in terms of price. That that first peak, uh, one point five billion. That's where we had Jiho on from State of the Nation, and like I kind of facetiously behind the scenes said like, "Oh yeah, this is when Bankless is getting the Axie guys on on the show. This is probably a local top." I was completely wrong about that. There have been two more tots even after that show, and so the just magnitude of this run by AXS has been absolutely insane, and just does, has no signs of of really stopping anytime soon. Yeah, I just want to I, I want to zoom out more because uh, let me check the you want to check this date. Oh, so this date, twenty twenty, time in twenty twenty mm-hmm. is when we first uh, profiled the like you know like the first Bankless article came out about um, Axie Infinity mm-hmm. and how crypto games were going to be absolutely massive and how AXS was a really interesting um, asset and game in that space at the time. Like market cap was under ten million dollars mm-hmm. now here we are 2.3 billion guys it pays to stay attention in the space but did Absolutely. you buy any of it ryan at the time i, I don't i'm not i'm not i'm not talking about my bags david it's not a show for bag talk <laughs> it's right? we no. about you <laughs> you'll never know you'll never I'll know nev- sir i will never like know. you don't know the full extent of my nft connect uh, collection i'm not doxing oh is it you that sir. i'm trying to get my crypto punk from <laughs> <laughs> no i don't sell i only buy <laughs> All right, so that's uh, guys. That is the Axie story. Um, you know, another cool story is Layer Two Summer. Uh, mm-hmm. Optimism, optimistic rollups just launched with Optimism launching uh, Uniswap on it, and this is their daily protocol revenue, David. So they've they've cleared some days, verging on 10k mm-hmm. in terms of daily revenue, which is really cool to see. Uh, any takes here? Yeah, uh, the the comment here is that so it begins. Uh, this is just even more data for, for Ryan and I to talk about in the market section. It's lovely to see these L2s generate fees because that is crypto economic sustainability. And I expect there to be just be so much data about fees generated on L2 from the economic activity that they host there. You know what? I'm going to go to a website while we're here, cryptofees.info. Let's take a quick look. Um, I don't know if right, David's 70- uh, updated, updated it that, that fast. You know, it doesn't have it, but I'm just throwing this out there. Look, um, Cardano, $8,000. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the L1, $8,000 in a one-day fee. That is about the same that Optimism is doing Mm -hmm. right now. In a a beta. Yeah. I don't know if it's beta It's kind of out there. I don't know. Like Cardano doesn't have its smart contracts. This is not a a whole section about Cardano. This is what we're talking about is the way you know that a blockchain has product market fit is mm-hmm. if it has full blocks that people are paying for. That's how you know. Right. So really good metric to see layer two doing that. I think uh, it's going to catch some layer ones by surprise who actually don't have that demand. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about this headline too, David, in the market section, more than one in 10 Americans invested in crypto this year. So it's 10%. I don't know if that's higher or lower than what you think, but what I found was really interesting is, is kind of who they are, like the demographics. Um, it's actually more women than traditional stocks. If you compare mm. investing in cryptocurrency to traditional stocks, more investors of color, uh, more lower income investors, less, fewer college educated investors. Huh. But the big one here for me was the average age of a crypto investor, 38. 
compared to Jeez. 47 for stocks. We're definitely skewing younger. Although 38 to me, it's like, that's a little right. older than I thought crypto might right. be. I guess it does right. skew in that direction though. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've always been, uh, if you actually pile into the data, you'll actually find that the, uh, just like this. Uh, I remember when I was uh, working at a startup before, before Bankless, we were trying to get an average profile of, of the typical customer and the, the average age, I think was something like 48. Uh, and yeah. so yeah, the, if you actually look into the data of like who you, uses these platforms and who crypto people are, it's actually a little bit older than what you would think. Yeah, which is, yeah, which it's, is pretty it's, crazy. It's not just like 20-somethings right. and like, you know, kids mm -hmm. using this stuff. There's there's right. definitely, um, you know, the average is 38. That that feels mm -hmm. about right. Maybe it skews a little bit younger for DeFi, but mm -hmm. probably not much to your point. The the uh, data that the uh, chart showed tells me a story about how crypto is more inclusive. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, ho I hope that's the case. And I hope it continues to be the case. I think we have a lot more work to do there, mm -hmm. but I think it will continue to be the case. Right. Guys, we're going to be back with the releases of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite dApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your dApps all in one place. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a UniGrant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Hey guys, we are back talking about the releases of the week. David, we have to start here. This is a hot apparel drop. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited about this. I was so excited. I already bought some of this. Mm -hmm. Ultrasound Summer Set includes Ultrasound Summer T-shirt, Ultrasound Summer Shorts. These shorts, swim shorts. Mm -hmm. Am I right? So you wear these in the pool. Right. Run around the sprinkler. Do your slip and slide. Whatever you do in this summer. Mm -hmm. Just in time for EIP 1559 for this drop. And this was uh, created by the Bankless DAO. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody in the Bankless DAO, Sinjin, mm -hmm. who is an incredibly talented designer, um, 
Yeah, man, I'm super excited about this drop. I, I bought mine. I don't know if you bought yours yet, but... Um... Oh, I bought two sets. <laughs> you did? <laughs> Just think, well, I'm going to wear it so much, Spare I'm going to wear one out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you want to you wanna have one for a, a few, like a couple days of the week, right? You know? Right. Like, yeah. I guess. Uh -huh. But I guess. Plus, if I ever get fat, I, I got a I got a medium <laughs> and I also got a large just in case. I, oh, that's I, smart. Right. Yeah, it's just once somebody on Twitter jokes is like, yeah, one for cutting season, one for bulking season. And you're goddamn right. That's exactly it's right. It's kind of true. Yeah. Plus, when you true. add okay. the uh, shorts and the trunks together, the price is one hundred and fifty five dollars and ninety cents. I wonder how that happened. A perfect fantastic calculation um you know what also came with this too david well it didn't mm -hmm. come with it but it is also part of this drop is the bankless nation puzzle mm -hmm. by percy which is just fantastic um a thousand pieces a thousand i think pieces. but yeah just a great piece of art i think uh you know it talks about all of the themes we talk about on bankless so where can people pick where can people pick this up david yeah, if you're on Twitter, just go to the Bankless DAO Twitter page, but you can also go, go to shop.metafactory.ai and you'll be able to navigate your way there. You can also type in slash collections slash bankless. You will see all of the previously sold out stuff. Hopefully you got some of that stuff too. Um, <clears throat> this is going to be a seven day sale. And so if you do not buy in the next seven days from the time of recording, then uh, so that, that, that'll end, I believe, like next Wednesday. If you do not buy by Wednesday, that is it. That is it. That's all you got. Uh, and so you can buy as much as you want between now and then. That's why I bought two, because uh, I knew <laughs> I wouldn't be able to buy another one later. Uh, and so uh, if you have seven days from the time of, of the, of course, of really six days of you're hearing this on Friday to buy this drop. Uh, and that is always going to be true for all future drops. And this is how a meta factory and, and bankless DAO work. We like scarcity in the world of crypto. We like the prestige. We like the status of being some of the few people that have some of these really cool drops. Uh, and so you can only, you only have one opportunity. And if you are hearing this, you got to get it right now. Uh, and so there'll be a link in the show notes uh, and, or you can go to bankless DAO Twitter page. It'll probably also be on the bankless Twitter page as well. Crypto culture you could wear, guys. That's what Bankless DAO is up to. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Let's talk about this. A Polygon doubling down on gaming. Good time to double down on crypto right. gaming and NFTs. They just launched a hundred million dollar fund. I think with Atari. So you remember the old, uh, you know, Atari system? Mm -hmm. They're back in action. They they published some uh, games and they're partnering with Atari and uh, creating this fund. I think to continue. Uh, funding and doubling down on this new play-to-earn crypto gaming model that we've seen be so successful with uh, with Axie. And in particular, David, um, side chains and layer twos where gas fees are low to nothing and block space, block space is plentiful, that's the place to do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You, you, need that, you need that instant finality in those cheap transactions. Otherwise, just gaming is not a thing. Uh, and it's really advantageous for Polygon and their Poly token, which or their excuse me, their Matic token, um, to, which has done really, really well to start to turn themselves into a fund to invest on their own L2, their own sidechain. Uh, and so that's exactly what they're doing. There is, while it is kind of cool news that uh, they are working with Atari, I do have information that uh, uh, when I, fun fact, my first job in crypto was uh, with an ICO advisory company back in 2018, and Atari was one of our clients. Atari, the Atari name is actually kind of just a shell company that has been, the, the name has just been passed around. So it's no longer the Atari of old. It's the same it's company. It's not the OGs from the it's 1970s the, who created the, the company's first, like, still Atari the same. system. 
but it's not it's not filled by the people that made the OG games. It's the brand that is it's the, the most brand, valuable right? Piece. And so while it is exciting that Atari is working with with you know people in crypto, they've been trying to do this for ages now, uh, and so. That, unfortunately, is not really the cool part of the news. The cool part of the news is that Polygon is investing with $100 million into gaming on top of Polygon. That's the news that you guys should take away um, should take away with this from. Uh, and so uh, I, I love games. I play games all the time. I would love to play games with combinations of crypto assets. So I'm excited to see what happens, uh, what comes out at the end of this $100 million gaming fund on Polygon. Me too. I think it's going to be boom time. I mean, people have seen the success of Axie. Now we've got the funding taken care of. So it, it's all going to be a lot of experience uh, playing mm -hmm. out here in the future. All right. Um, let's talk about uh, this, David. Um, Ave Arc. We've talked about it a few times, I think, mm -hmm. in the theme of institutional DeFi. Compound, of course, released a treasury app targeted towards uh, institutions. And now Ave is doing the same. They have released Ave Arc. I know you were with Stani actually last week, um, talking a little bit about this, but, uh, but what is it? And did Stani give any indication on when it's coming, David? Yeah, it is. Is just like you said. It's the uh, the Aave's version of Compound Treasury uh, called Aave Arc. Love the name. Love the branding. Uh, and it is just basically a uh, fractal off of Aave itself that has that is the permissioned fractal, right? So it's built on top of the Aave protocol, or built um, built. Excuse me, not on top of, but in, in adjacent to. Uh, also governed by the Aave token holders. So that's interesting. And it's just a it's just a K, it's just a, a KYC AML compliant version of Aave that allows some of these institutions to be more comfortable with who they are engaging with. Uh, and so uh, it's basically a protocol protocolized version of Aave for institutions. Uh, and uh, the the main question that I asked Stani when I interviewed him at ECC is. Why did you build this? Did you build this because you think you can entice institutions with it? Or did you build this because institutions are asking for it? And uh, Stani unequivocally said that it is the latter. It is because uh, institutions have come to Ave and said, Ave, we love what you're doing. We want some of these stuff, uh, but we can't compliantly use it without this, this, and this. And so Ave went and, and went ahead and built this, this, and this. Uh, and now uh, there is Ave Arc, which is Ave for institutions. Uh, he said uh, that they'll be launching sometime towards the end of this month, but it is currently the end of this month. So maybe it's now in the uh, soon TM category. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and shared liquidity with the rest of the Ave protocol. Is that correct? So will this be a separate liquidity pool or does it share the rest of the liquidity with everything that's non AML KYZ? I think. I do not know. I I don't know for certain. So do your own research on this. I think it has to be separate liquidity because the liquidity has to come from KYC individuals. And if you're using Ave, you are not KYC, and so institutions can't touch you by, by that rule. Interesting. I think. Uh, yeah. I I definitely think there's a sub theme here in DeFi that we want mm -hmm. to continue to explore this institutional access to DeFi. Um, David, let's talk about this though. Mm -hmm. A fractional is a way to take a piece of art that you have, an NFT that you have, say a, a CryptoPunk, and sell pieces of it. You mm -hmm. could keep the majority, but you could sell, say, 5%, 10% of it, you know, 50%, 60%, however much you want. You can fractionalize your NFTs and sell it. If you are a buyer, you can also purchase a fractional NFT. Mm -hmm. I know we had uh, the founder of this on the podcast earlier this week with a, an Ask Me Anything uh, to talk a bit about it. But it's a really cool story. Do you want to give the TLDR of um, like the rest of this, what I didn't cover? 
Yeah, there, there's two parts. One you covered, which is you put the ERC-721 into a contract, and then many, many ERC-20s come out of that. It allows you to get liquidity, allows you to do things you couldn't normally do. Um, and then there's the other half of it, which is after you put the ERC-721 into the contract, and then you break it apart into you know thousands of different tokens, how do you get the thing to come back together? Uh, and so there is this uh, reserve price sort of auction type mechanism that allows there to uh, hot swap or atomically swap uh, Ether wherever the ERC-20 versions of this NFT are out and about. Uh, perhaps they're collateral in Aave. Uh, they can be collateral in Aave, but then these tokens can be sold and atomically swapped for, e uh, for Ether um, dictated by the price that it was sold at. And so this is how it can maintain collateral in these applications because... Ave or, or any any application that needs collateral doesn't like it when collateral just gets yoinked from the from the from the protocol. That would be terrible. That would be that would be completely broken. But that's that's what needs to happen in order for these fractionalized tokens to come back together to back into a whole unit. But the way that fractional uh, fixes this is that it yoinks the NFT collateral in Ave, but it replaces it with the stale proceeds, which are Ether, which is already a collateral in all these uh, lending and borrowing applications. So really compelling application. Uh, I, I'm lo looking forward to seeing what the DeFi builders can do with it. Yeah, we, we use really technical terms on the bank list, like yoinks and, you know, <laughs> 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 this is a really cool protocol, David. I was like stunned. And what I think that this does is it makes the every single NFT that's out there more valuable. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you get a liquidity premium on it. Mm -hmm. Now you're not just locked premium. into... Yeah, exactly. Now you're not just locked into a very expensive NFT. Um, you can sell portions of it. So it becomes much more liquid like other ERC-20 tokens. Very cool primitive. I, I can't wait to find out what happens with this in the future. Um David, uh, we should talk about this. I think this is a, a big piece of news. Binance is now al allowing deposits and withdrawals to and from uh, the Poly chain chain, the Polygon chain, excuse me, uh, which is super cool. This is something we predicted would happen, mm -hmm. right? Maybe the idea that um, the gateway to DeFi users won't actually be from exchange directly to Ethereum mainnet. It could start to be from exchange to sidechain or exchange to layer two, we might live our entire DeFi lives in the future on layer twos, in fact, that are secured by Ethereum. So this is the start of this. And if Binance does it, you know, Coinbase is going to do it. You know, Gemini is going to do it. You know, Kraken is going to do it. And if they're doing it with Polygon, you know, they're going to be doing it with layer twos, like Optimism, ZK rollups that are coming in the future, Arbitrum. This is just fantastic for the user experience and adoption of Ethereum's layer two ecosystem and sidechain ecosystem. So it's super cool to see. Absolutely. Uh, Binance actually does have a, a stronger relationship with Matic and Polygon than uh, most other tokens because Matic actually did their IEO on Binance years and years ago. Uh, and so Binance is really, really friendly to the, to the Polygon network. And so that's probably why they got them out the door first. Um, and this is just another story of overall L2 development. Now you don't have to go to Ethereum to get your money on, on Polygon. So it's pretty cool. Congratulations, Mihalo and the Polygon team. Yeah, very cool. Um, all right, let's talk about this Etherscan. Look, where would we be without Etherscan? Yeah, the most, right. like, the most unappreciated project in this space. And I just mean like they don't get enough credit for everything right. that they do. This space, mm -hmm. everyone uses Etherscan for something right. in their bankless DeFi journey. They've just added a really cool feature. What is this feature? Can you describe it, David? 
Right. So if you are, if you've ever moved on your assets onto Polygon or Optimism or any other layer two, you move your assets to your same address because your private keys are your private keys for your address, no matter what chain you're on. The fact that you're on a different chain doesn't change what address you use, uh, which means that your address can be traced and, and tracked by uh, by Etherscan, no matter what chain you're on. And so your address is the same on Matic, it's the same on Optimism, it's the same on Arbitrum as it all is on Ethereum, and as it is on Binance Smart Chain for that matter, right? Like the whole thing of uh, about private public keys is actually agnostic from the blockchain. Uh, and so if you have the private key for one address, you have it on all of the blockchains that are uh, that use the same. Um, the, uh, I can't remember, I think it's the BIP32 uh, route uh, technical details. Um, but so that and means- a shortcut is like any EVM compatible chain basically, right? No, no, the, the EVM is actually separate from the private key, public key pairs. That, that's a, that's a okay. separate thing. Um, the, the, just all of these different, uh, I, I'm pretty sure even Bitcoin follows the same like uh, algorithm for producing a, a, pri a public private key pair. I could be wrong about that. Uh, anyways, your private keys work across all different chains. Uh, and so you can see what an address... Now, this update from Etherscan is that you can go see what your address is doing on Ethereum. But then you can go and just like click a button and see what that same address is doing on all the other chains because it's the same address. Uh, and so that's pretty cool. That's a nice little feature. So if people... people like I remember when I started first using Polygon, I would go and send my money there. But there wasn't really a block explorer. Like I kind of, I kind of felt like I was just feeling around in the dark. Uh, and now Etherscan has the, all of the infrastructure up and running for it. And now it's just got this easy button to see, like, okay, like see what this address is up to on the other chains, which is a really nice feature. This is all part of the story of I think Ethereum and DeFi uh, rearchitecting towards a multi-chain, more scalable world, not just the Ethereum main chain, which is super cool to see. Um, this this also uh, f you know follows that through line. Um, Rabi release announcement. So Rabi is a browser extension wallet. So it's like MetaMask. Um, it was put together by the folks at DBank, and their claim to fame is a smooth multi-chain user experience. So you can use this across Ethereum. You can also use this across Poly uh, Polygon and the other layer twos as well, and other layer twos as well. And I haven't used this yet, David. Um, you know, definitely a huge MetaMask fan. I love what they've done. You know, wouldn't couldn't do anything in DeFi without a combination of like MetaMask and maybe a Ledger and some other some other tools in the space. But it's also good to see some competition in the browser extension wallet market. I know there's another uh, segment of of wallets I'm super bullish on, which is smart contract wallets as well of the kind that like Argent is creating. Um, but this category, aside from MetaMask, doesn't really have a ton of competition on Ethereum. So competition breeds better user experience, better consumer choice. And it's a good thing. And I'm hopeful they bring this. Like I said, I haven't tried this yet. I don't know if you have, but um, you know, it's good to see some new entrants into the space. What's your take? Yeah, I've got it downloaded and it seems to be very similar to a user experience as MetaMask, maybe with a little bit of an improvement on the UI, maybe. Um, I haven't haven't created an address yet, but uh, I'll probably gonna do that relatively soon. Uh, like like Just like you said, competition, really, really good for the consumer. The one hurdle that uh, Rabi is going to have to get over is that now all of our favorite apps, Aave, Compound, you know, Gnosis Safe, all the things that integrate with MetaMask, they're also going to need to also integrate with Rabi. Uh, and so uh, that is going to be the challenge for the Rabi team is to promote their own integrations into all the other DeFi apps that we all know and love. Because while it's fantastic that there is a second 
uh, a browser extension wallet that we can all now use. It doesn't mean anything if we can't connect it to Compound or Aave or all the other DeFi apps that we use. Um, I also think that the uh, the hair, because Rabby stands for rabbit, means rabbit. The hair versus the fox meme is going to be kind of fun. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even catch that. Yep, absolutely clever. Um, let's talk about this in the releases. Lira, the DAO, raised $3.3 million. This is an options protocol mm -hmm. that's going to be native to L2. So options are the biggest financial, and options and derivatives, the biggest financial uh, markets in the world. And they've certainly caught on in crypto, but they've just been centralized up to this point. So the BitMEXs and Binance and the FTX, they have massive options, massive derivatives markets right now. Um, but the DeFi markets aren't of comparable size, right? Mm -hmm. Like Uniswap almost like surpassed Coinbase uh, for some days last year. It's getting to Coinbase size in, in terms of um, trading volume. But the DeFi derivative space and option space is just, just tiny compared to what's going yeah. on in centralized exchange. So everyone's asking like, why? Why, hasn't, why haven't derivatives and options taken off on, uh, in DeFi yet. And the reason I think that um, some companies are saying is, is basically because we haven't had cheap gas space. The, the computation required to right. create some of these products has not been available. It's been too expensive up to now. And so that's what um, Lira is doing. They're basically deploying, I think on the Optimism network, mm -hmm. they'll probably do Arbitrum as well. And they're starting there. They're not even starting on main chain in order to make a, a product that uh, is, is competitive. And we'll see what happens with this next generation of DeFi options and derivatives products. Yeah, I, I fully expect uh, options to be a fully built out financial paradigm in DeFi by the end of this year. And it's going to be on L2. Like you said, this couldn't even have worked out on the L1. Like, this is not an L1 product that could happen. Uh, you need scale, you need scalability uh, to be able to make this work. Uh, and so now that we have L2, we are now going to see options. Uh, and so that's I'm excited to be able to finally tap into a very, very important financial primitive on Ethereum, uh, directly on Ethereum security. Other derivatives products to look out for in the DeFi space, of course, DYDX, which is fully migrated to a layer two, um, a, a ZK rollup layer two, and also uh, take a look at Perpetual Protocol. They are on XDAI as sort of their, their sidechain type experience. So it's all happening on layer twos and sidechains up to this point. Um, David, let's talk about this. The blockchain unicorn, another blockchain unicorn project, Fireblocks, just raised uh, $310 million, backed by Sequoia, Stripe, Spark Capital, a bunch of VCs, including Thailand's oldest bank. Um, I think we should have Fireblocks on the podcast in the future because it's a really interesting story around institutional DeFi, I think they're providing. So they're providing like staking services. It's It seems to me like a, a bit go that's a bit more forward thinking and forward leaning in terms of protocols that they're supporting. So it's meant for institutions who can't custody their own assets, but want to get involved in uh, staking, DeFi, some of these other things. And it uh, seems like a big market. These VCs are anticipating a really large market for this. And that's why Fireblocks is getting the funding and, and gearing up to scale even more, like $310 million, dude. I mean, how do you even spend all of that? That's mm -hmm. definitely a, a, like a bull market raise here. So I think that's it as far as we have for raises, David. We should also talk about jobs, man. You know, I've been getting pinged uh, here a lot recently from folks in the bankless community who are like, hey, I just made the leap. 
I was in the traditional job. I just made the leap into crypto. It was partially because of the Bankless program. If you are in Bankless, if you're absorbing this content, chances are you might be looking for a job in crypto in the near future. We put together a jobs board just for that purpose. There's uh, close to 40 jobs on here. Um, one was just posted this week is a senior product manager from Immutable, Immutable X. These are the folks mm -hmm. behind God's Unchained. They're, they're building some really cool gaming scalability technology. We've got a full stack engineer from Pallet. Those are the folks actually that, that helped create this job board. So thanks to Pallet for that. Senior Solidity Engineer from Quant Finance, Chief Investment Officer, Yield App, Software Engineer from Arbitrum, a senior designer from Pool Together. Guys, there are a ton of opportunities right now in crypto. Now is the time to get plugged in, start looking, see where you can add value in this ecosystem and take the next step on mm -hmm. the bankless journey. And don't think that these jobs aren't for you. Uh, these jobs are for you. Um, so depending on your skill set, depending on what you can do, and, and also just the, the magic of working with other crypto people inside of crypto is completely different than just like consuming bankless podcasts for the rest of your life. Like get a job <laughs> in the industry and you'll get ahead even faster than listening to bankless, which is, is something to say. Yeah. You're telling us to get a job, huh, David? Yeah. I'm telling you to get a like, job. Get a job. Get, get a, a job, job guys. <laughs> All right, let's go to news. Uh, man, a lot of news this week. We hopefully will have time to cover it all. The first is this. PayPal's crypto division uh, wants to roll out a super app. Mm -hmm. So not just PayPal's crypto division, but I think all of crypto wants to evolve their app into uh, something that's a bit more complete, like a super app. This kind of reminds me of the conversation, the recording we just had with uh, Richard Turin, mm -hmm. who was talking about China's central bank digital currency and China's fintech infrastructure, where they have real super apps like Alipay and WeChat, where you're doing your social media and also all of your banking inside of one super it's app your experience. Life. It's your life. It's your whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like I text you to pay you and it's all inside of WeChat. Um, it seems like PayPal is trying to get there too. And maybe, just maybe, David, mm -hmm. they're going to rely on some crypto features to help them get there. Maybe not relying so much on the traditional banking system? I don't know. That's a hope, but we'll have to see. What's your take here? Yeah, I have. I honestly have no idea what's coming. The, the term super app definitely jogs my mind into exactly what you just said. But the other place that the mind, my mind goes is that like, uh, we were joking with uh, Jim Bianco when he came on the podcast and he, all of his friends were like, all right, I downloaded Coinbase. Where's the DeFi? Uh, and yeah. I think maybe maybe <laughs> PayPal DeFi is button. trying to make like the DeFi page. It's like, oh yeah, here's like borrowing and lending. Maybe, maybe they do the obfuscation as in they, they have Compound, Aave, you know, all these apps in the background, Uniswap, you know, Matcha. Uh, they have, they're all in the background. And then PayPal just does all the interface, like kind of like Instadap, yeah. right? Maybe, in, in, maybe, maybe it's like the Instadap model is where they just kind of obfuscate everything. I'm not too sure what's going on. Maybe they're also doing identity. Who knows? Well, um, here's the, here's the thing, David. Is like so from our conversation with with Richard Turin, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the banks in China, and you guys will hear this podcast. It comes out not next week, but the week after. This is okay. all about Chinese central bank digital currency. It's a must listen to yeah. episode, guys. We're, you you're going to be hearing it. about us and me and Ryan talk about it in the future. Yeah, it's it's going to blow your mind, right? But so, um, but in in China, they basically allowed their fintech companies, their big tech companies, to eat the banks, mm -hmm. right? In the U.S., in, in Western countries, we didn't do that. Mm -hmm. So, like, if PayPal wants to build a super app with like social media and also the super advanced banking and payment 
uh, infrastructure, I don't see how they're going to be able to do it. The closest they can get is not with the traditional banking system, but like they almost have to build on crypto rails, right? right? So your point, like the maybe they're thinking about an instant app. I have no idea if they're thinking about that. I have no idea if they're there yet, if they understand DeFi enough to, to start to do that. But they're almost going to be forced to in the future because mm-hmm. they can't build a super app right. on traditional banking infrastructure from the 1970s, can they? Right. Yeah, they, you're absolutely right. They cannot do some of the banking stuff that they want to do, but they can do DeFi, right? They can grow the DeFi mullet. Uh, and so maybe that's kind of, maybe the super app, maybe the super app branding and marketing isn't for you and me, Ryan. Maybe it's for like the legacy people who are, who don't know what DeFi is. And then PayPal, and this has always been the promise of the DeFi mullet uh, from, from day one is PayPal <laughs> can hook into Uniswap, hook into Compound, hook into Maker, hook into whatever. And then they can just present that as their own finance product to the in the front end. It's like, oh, hey, here's yeah. PayPal's like exchange feature. Here's PayPal's, you know, in low interest loans. Like they don't have to advertise it as Ave or Compound. They can advertise it yeah. as as PayPal. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah exactly. How, how do you get a four percent savings account? Oh, yeah, don't, don't, don't worry don't about ask. that. Don't 4% ask. Savings account. Pay, PayPal's brand new product. <laughs> yeah, and we'll insure it, and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Consumer, right. you know, exactly. Yeah, Protect I think that could be bolts. the case. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this. Uh, th- this is maybe partially why Bitcoin yeah. price, ETH price went up and then kind of fell back down. Uh, Amazon Jobs just released a digital currency and blockchain product lead uh, job description. So th- mm-hmm. they're trying to hire someone for digital currency and blockchain products. I wonder what this means. I, I can only think that it means that crypto is taking over the world and now it's finally trying to take over Amazon. So if you are in the uh, local Seattle area, Go ahead and apply to Amazon for, for getting this job. And also hey, Amazon, you're, you're, come post this on the Bankless Seattle. Jobs board. Oh, definitely. They should. <laughs> uh, you're, you're in Seattle, David. Are you, Currently are you in Seattle, break? only temporarily while I'm in quarantine. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. You would apply for this, I'm sure. I'm sure this would be you. I think I could be a product lead. I don't think I'd <laughs> I think you'd do Amazon. anything. <laughs> I believe in you, David. You could do anything. All right. You'd definitely be We're going to get somebody blockchain. else for, for, the, for the next week's Bankless <laughs> Weekly roll-up. <laughs> See me at Amazon. All right. Um... Let's talk about this. Uh, Jack, Jack Dorsey, <laughs> the ETH troll? I don't know, man. Big what, ETH troll. What's up with this tweet? Yeah, so it's the Olympics. Here? And so all, all the uh, three-letter country codes are now have uh, flags associated with them. And Jack decided to tweet out hashtag ETH for Ethiopia with the Ethiopian flag. But granted, there are many, many, many countries that have the, the flag with them. And Jack decided to tweet out specifically hashtag ETH. Uh, which uh, everyone kind of everyone kind of interpreted as a troll to the Ethereum community because Jack. We all known, know what it means. We all know what it means, Jack. He's a he's known Bitcoin maxi, uh, and so yeah, and so you know Twitter. If if you do hashtag uh, BTC, you get the Bitcoin logo. If you get if you get like uh, or do, dollar sign BNB, you get the Binance Coin logo, and and if you do the dollar sign ETH, you don't get anything. Um, and well, to some degree, the Ethereum people don't really want it, but it de- definitely shows uh, by Jack's colors. As like very much a non-eth person who's trying to troll eth uh and i kind of got upset about this because and you're not supposed to get upset about this because you don't want to feed the trolls but what, what did upset me is that i am a big proponent of mindfulness and maybe that's ironic that i just said i got upset about it <laughs> but i'm a big proponent of mindfulness and so is jack and so is jack 
Yeah, he is so goddamn biased about about Bitcoin versus Ether, and he just wanted to troll the entire Ethereum community. Uh, and so it, it bugs me that a guy who's like uh, a proponent of mindfulness is also just like unable to get out of his own maximalist shell. Yeah, I, I I do think that's going on. Now you could interpret this troll as like just a lighthearted jab, you know, sure. like I like this sure. sports team, you like that right. sports team, and I'm just right. gonna be like just a jab at you. Although I will say, look, man. Uh, Jack has just come out recently talking about building DeFi, right? Jack's version of DeFi at Square on what? On Bitcoin. Like sigh, he, big sigh. His, his, his value system that he purports is very much like open source, protocol centric, decentralization, right. right? That's what he preaches. Right. And then we have this whole DeFi ecosystem right. that we built out in Ethereum and it's Jack totally ignores it. Mm-hmm. I, do, I just don't understand right why at this point but one explanation is like all in bitcoin right you know you know maximalism but mm-hmm. let's talk about the 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 cool story here which right. i think that's only the first part but like what mm-hmm. did the ethereum community do as a reaction to this oh they just completely owned it they're like oh yeah i guess we're <laughs> friends with ethiopia now like oh <laughs> ethiopia is eth we're eth we're ethereum now best friends with ethiopia so yeah you saw all these great memes of like um ethiopian flag and like mm-hmm. um uh, Ethereum together and like Ethiopian foods and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was a, it was just a fun meme, I think for the internet and good thing to do if you are being trolled in this way is mm-hmm. don't fight back, just mm-hmm. own it. It's a lesson for everyone on the internet. And even CoinGecko got in on the fun. So if you go to uh, Ether or Ethereum on CoinGecko, it now has the Ethiopian flag on it. And then, and then this tweet got 4.6 thousand likes. How many likes did Jack's <laughs> tweets get? Did, uh, a bit more that. there. Oh, 28,000. All right. Well, he's the founder yeah. of Twitter. So, okay. Yeah, 28,000. That's home, right. yeah. home field territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got a lot of followers, I'd say. Um, all right. Let's talk about this, David, because this was alarming, I think, to some in the crypto space. Um, token access on app.uniswap.org. That is the mm-hmm. front end of the website that is officially hosted by the Uniswap Labs team. Mm-hmm. They delisted, at least in the application layer, some assets, particularly synthetic type assets, the right. types of assets that centralized exchanges have been delisting, you know, like the synthetic Tesla and the synthetic right. stocks and this sort of thing. Uh, and this appears, and I think they say explicitly in the post, this is as a result of um, increased regulatory scrutiny on the space. Right. So a whole bunch of people in crypto, of course, like, uh, you know, Bitcoin Maximus jumped on this right. and said, see, Uniswap is never decentralized in the first place. Right. And other folks who have not been in the space as long also um, started saying, hey, I'm like, this is really concerning. Right. What happened to this right. permissionless open decentralization thing if Uniswap can just delist assets? David, you know, what, what actually happened here? What's the, what's the real story here? Okay, so there's two Uniswaps. There's Uniswap the protocol and then there's the Uniswap application front end that Uniswap Labs operates. And the Uniswap Labs has an exchange. Think, think they have their own exchange. Think it's like it's a, it's a Binance, it's a Coinbase, it's a Gemini, it's a Uniswap. And that Uniswap, instead of having their own order book on their centralized data, data layer and database, instead like all the other ones I just listed, instead they just tap into Uniswap the protocol. And so Uniswap, the front end run by Uniswap Labs, taps into Uniswap, the protocol. The Uniswap, the protocol, and this is not about that at all. Nothing changed about Uniswap, the protocol. Uniswap Labs, their front end, you can no longer get these synthetic assets to appear. 
And that's what they mean by delisting. But the tokens themselves still have liquidity, still are assets on the Uniswap exchange, and you can go to the Uniswap protocol and trade them as you see fit. That has not changed at all. And so uh, treating Uniswap Labs front end as an exchange, they want to not get involved with any regulators whatsoever. They're just a front end. And so they compliantly delisted all of these synthetic assets so that they wouldn't have to deal with any regulation issues. That's not even, it's not even what they're trying to do anyways. They're not even, they don't even make money from providing a front end to the Uniswap protocol. Now, uh, just like you said, uh, Two cohorts of people I noticed made a bunch of noise about this, like the Bitcoin maxis or the people who generally just don't want Ethereum to succeed. And so they said, oh, yeah, Uniswap's always been like completely centralized, completely like censorable. We knew it all along. And to me, that's just like they are just broadcasting how incredibly naive and biased they are because they're just showing Dude, I got called. I got called scammer. Like oh, people dug up. I'm sure you did. I said Uniswap. Um, yeah. I'm sure you daily know. I get called scammer, but right. but like specifically in this event, people right. Bitcoin or maximalists were very angry and they they felt like this was a chink right. in Ethereum's DeFi armor. They're refusing to learn why we're so excited about these this whole DeFi thing in the first place. Like it's so incredibly <laughs> ironic. They come to you and they tell Ryan, you're a scammer. You said Uniswap was decentralized. And if they are telling you that you're a scammer because of this, they're the scammer because they're trying to create a false narrative about well, Uniswap I don't know what to try doing. and get them yeah. to buy Bitcoin. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's DeFi could have never honest. worked. Yeah. yeah, it gets so frustrating. Yeah. And, the, and the thing is, All right, so that's the one group, right? That's the one group. And then, and then there's like the, the newer people who come into the space and say, oh, Uniswap delisted uh, a tokens. I thought the whole thing about this was censorship resistance. And you're totally right. And it absolutely is. And that's why it's important to understand the difference between the front end and the back end. And the back end is a censorship resistant protocol built on Ethereum, doing all the things that Ethereum is supposed to let them do. And the crazy thing is, the most frustrating thing is, we've done this before. Like we did this two years ago. It was the same story. Uh, and so, Ryan, is. you wrote this in December 9th, 2019, titled Unstoppable Liquidity. Tell us why just, you just wrote this Just scamming people. I was just, just scamming, scamming people, people left and right. Why did you write this article? I wanted to scam everyone. No, I, it, it was because a similar incident happened in 2019 where there was a regulatory scare uh, around, um, I think it's OFAC countries. Mm -hmm. So these yeah. are countries on basically like the international ban list or like the U.S.'s ban list. So Iran, North Korea, some other countries that the U.S. has like legal uh, trade embargoes against. And so um, what happened was uh, Uniswap was unavailable. The official Uniswap site uh, became unavailable to specific countries, right? It was like kind of like if you have an IP right. address coming from Iran, uh, you can't access the official Uniswap interface, right? And so what did that mean at the time in 2019? Well, it actually does the opposite of everything the critics are proclaiming because it actually demonstrated how unstoppable the Uniswap protocol is. Because within minutes, this is what happened in 2019, and it's what happened in, in uh, 2021 last week, within minutes, all of these other new Uniswap interfaces uh, surfaced, right? So like anyone can build a Uniswap interface. They could just fork the Uniswap interface code as well and like deploy it somewhere else. They don't even have to deploy it on Amazon servers or centralized servers. You can even deploy it in something like IPFS. Uh, if you don't want a .com domain name, that's also kind of a you know centralized domain name, you can host it on ENS or some sort of decentralized domain name service. 
And so this is what you found in 2019. You had uniswapexchange.eth, you had uniswapexchange.eth.link, totally uncensorable, um, accessible anywhere in the world, all the assets listed. It's because all of the good stuff, the logic, the liquidity, the assets, everything, that's all on-chain. On that's all uncensored, uh, unstoppable on native Ethereum. And so like, the interface isn't even the thing here. And this is exactly what happened. You can access Uniswap uh, and all of those synthetics that were delisted on the official app in any of these other um, you know, third-party websites. And anyone can spin these up. You can even run it yourself, David. If you want to get super geeky, you can like download the Git code you know, repositories and just run the interface on your local machine and trade that way. And this is what it means to be an anti-fragile decentralized system. If you cut off the head, then 10 more show up. Like I don't even go to Uniswap to, to trade my assets. I go to like Matcha or any of the other number of Uniswap front ends. Uh, and so like this, if you, you just go somewhere else, like it's just an interface, it's just the front end. Uh, and so, Ryan, I'm looking forward to doing this again in 2023 <laughs> when like when something happens and then the Bitcoin maxis once again, like throw up their arms and be like, oh, yeah, we knew Ethereum was centralized. Like, oh, blah, blah, well, blah, blah. Here's the other thing. I don't know why people like what's your solution if you're a Bitcoiner? Like, God bless you. If you're <laughs> like, what's your solution to this problem? Right. Uh -huh. You guys don't even have a Uniswap. <laughs> right. Go to Coinbase. Right. I guess the solution is don't trade any other assets. There's only Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. But like that's not a satisfactory answer. That's not what we're doing. It is, it is if you're a Bitcoiner. Bitcoin Maxi. Excuse me. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's talk about this. This is super exciting. I feel like this still went under the radar. You know, it was right. big news last week. Right. Is Reddit's community point system is scaling on Ethereum using Arbitrum. So layer two technology. And that's just huge because Reddit has been talking about uh, a community point scaling system like tokenizing it's you know, you know how reddit has subreddits david mm -hmm. all sorts of different subreddits out there each subreddit can have a notion of, of community points that are rewarded for different behaviors in the subreddit and um they, they created like a pilot project of this and they just knew the ethereum mainnet wouldn't scale anyway they, they finally come up with their scalability solution for uh achieving this project and it's on arbitrum and the thing about reddit is 450 million active monthly users. Like that's insane. I mean, we have probably 1 million, maybe 2 million people in, in DeFi right now, right? This is potentially adding 450 million, like a total addressable market when you include social media into the DeFi ecosystem of the future. And they're doing it on Ethereum's layer two. And the reason they selected layer two specifically for Ethereum is decentralization. That's what they said in their post. So this is the uh, protocol sync thesis at work, right? Where organizations don't want to build on Binance chain that's controlled by CZ. They want to build on something that is credibly neutral mm -hmm. at the base layer. And it's really cool that Reddit is seeing that. And um, I think this is going to be a big story of how Web Web 2 social media starts to interact more and more with, you know, Web 3, um, DeFi, and, and this you know, internet of value that uh, that's being built out right now. Yeah, that, that last take that you just had, how Reddit is going from a web two to a DeFi world, like this is Reddit getting a huge upgrade and in stepping into the world of web three. And there's a decent amount, web three is kind of largely undefined. No one really knows what it is. Everyone has their own kind of definition for it. But I think as soon as you integrate financial assets with community engagement, like uh, hubs, which is what Reddit is, 
then we start to drift into the world of, of Web3. Incentivize communities, incentivize participation, incentivize content curation. And like, think of the magnitude of how many users Reddit has and how many, uh, how, they're all going to be introduced to Ethereum, maybe not directly. And, and kind of the point in the long-term like bullishness of Ethereum is that it actually just is an invisible operating system in the background that no one really thinks about anymore. And this is kind of this instantiation of that. Reddit is going to use optimism. Optimism is so fast and instant that it just feels like a normal website, yet it's secured by Ethereum. And now Reddit's like, you know, millions and millions of users are now touching Ethereum at, at least at the, in a, in a, with maybe a couple degrees of separation, you know? First, there's Reddit built on top of Optimism, which is built on top of Ethereum. But it comes back, all roads lead back to Ethereum at the end of the day. And so Ethereum is about to touch so many more lives. And that's going to be really cool to see. They're going to figure this out, David. There's like 30,000 different subreddits, right? Mm -hmm. I'm at, like, what is a subreddit? It's, it's a community, isn't right. it? Mm -hmm. Right? Like 30,000 subreddits, all of these could potentially become DAOs. Right. If you, if you have sort of some... If you expand the definition token, of a DAO, it could just become a subreddit. <laughs> who knows? I just have no idea what the, like the experimentation is coming, but it, it is coming. And I think this is made possible by some of the layer two tech. Uh, super cool to see. Um, David, let's talk about EIP-1559 for just a minute, because this is like an embarrassing take mm -hmm. by uh, CNBC. I'm glad they're talking about ETH and eip 1559 on CNBC, but they don't, they still don't really know what they're talking about. So this is uh, Michael Wan, Wong with the tweet um, from Brian Kelly on CNBC. What, what happened here? Yeah. So Brian Kelly thinks EIP 1559 means proof of stake. Uh, I mean, I remember when I was trying to learn about crypto and Ethereum and I was making state uh, like statements like this. Um, and so like to some degree, maybe Brian is just like learning, but also if you're learning, don't present this on CNBC, like <laughs> become a little bit more educated. And then also the Ethereum classic on the, the Ethereum classic graph on the screen while talking about Ethereum. <sighs> It's frustrating. Sigh. And like to Deep some sigh. degree, I'm like just not convinced that our legacy like media institutions are actually ever going to do it for us. And so uh, there's always been the conversation of like, are we, when are the institutions coming versus like, oh, are we just going to make our own new institutions? And like, this is evidence for the fact that, oh, we're just going to make our own new ones. Oh, that's a, that's a great take. And I think, uh, I definitely think it's the second in all sorts of categories, not just media, but definitely media as well. Um, David, let's talk about this. Bitco and Index Co-op have turned... Uh, have have um, partnered up, which is mm -hmm. super cool. We just had Index Co-op on the State of the Nation earlier this week, and we're talking about institutional DeFi. Now they have teamed up with Bitco, it seems like. Bitco provides crypto custody service because a lot of these institutions, David, like they can't hold their own private keys in an institutional structure, right? So they can't have you know, millions and millions of dollars on MetaMask or like somebody's ledger or something like that. So they have to use custodians like BitGo. And now I think what's happening is BitGo is providing access to all the index co-op products. So that's the bed index, that's DPI, that's their, their metaverse uh, investment product, that's ETH FLI, it's all of their, their products. Uh, exposing that to institutions, that's a super big move because, of course, there's a lot of there's a lot of money fl flowing out there in retail, um, but uh, there's even more on the institutional side. And giving them access to these DeFi products is kind of neat. Yeah, having that, having especially with the Bed Index, which is really meant to be a buy and hold, having that go straight into like custody cold storage, really, really useful. Institutions, buy the Bed, <laughs> get into bed with us. <laughs> 
you you, th- you think we have institutions listening? Oh yeah, we sure. probably do. Well, we? mem- members like, of institutions. Absolutely. All right, NFT stuff, David. Shopify is allowing merchants to sell NFTs directly through their store. They are using um, the Flow blockchain to do that to 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 sell NFTs directly to customers. So we have a Shopify store, right? And this is right. where like you could sell merch, this sort of thing. You spin up a Shopify store. And I guess now they've just integrated an extension to allow um, flow NFTs to be sold on top of Shopify. This is mainstreaming NFTs. Mm-hmm. What other takes are there here? Yeah, F- flow NFTs are not actually NFTs. They're fraudulent, illegitimate NFTs because flow isn't actually a crypto economic system. It's a centralized database, but Whoa. it's a foot in the door for NFTs to become integrated to the rest of the world. Shopify owes no homage to Flow, and as soon as it wakes up and realizes that NFTs on Flow are illegitimate, then maybe they will wake up and uh, maybe they just need the scale. Uh, and so maybe we maybe they should, uh, we should introduce them to um, uh, Immutable because Immutable is a Starkware L2 that is specific built for NFTs. And so if they need NFTs on a scale platform, they should be talking to the guys over at Immutable X, not the guys over this at is strong, This is strong. I want to hear what you said though. This is strong oh, yeah. language. I think NFTs on Flow are, you'd say, illegitimate? Yes. What correct. do you mean by that? Uh, okay, so NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and and NFTs at large, concept of the metaverse is defined by user ownership, which means that any NFT that is not deployed on a decentralized permissionless blockchain is not an NFT. It is something else that they have sold to you as the scarce asset that they're never going to reproduce. But do you actually own it if they can either shut down the blockchain or per- like censor your ability to touch it and just can, like overall dictate control over what assets that you own. It's kind of like if you were to go into a game like uh, you know Fortnite or any other game, uh, you know uh, Hearthstone, and you purchase items in the game, but then they can just revoke your account or like cut you off or revoke your items. Are they really NFTs? No, NFTs are synonymous with maximal settlement assurances about ownership over the asset and flow does not give you that in the same way that like any censors any you know centralized database no, you don't own this? anything how new how assets this, though, David? what about uh nfts on a side chain something like xdi or even something like polygon mm, right mm-hmm. are they nfts or are they not nfts uh they are they are can, they can be i mean it depends on uh, they can become tokens on Ethereum, right? So if you have a token on XDAI or on Polygon, it is a token also on Ethereum. Uh, and so you can make that trust assumption as the user to put your tokens on Polygon, and that's your choice. You are taking that choice. So even even if like you go and you mint that token on Polygon, you have the ability to go back to Ethereum, and then you always get your maximum settlement assurances. Flow is a completely different blockchain. You can't go from Flow to Ethereum, so you can never so, access the maximum security of Ethereum. So the, what I think the Flow people would say is they are a layer one blockchain mm-hmm. and they have some trade-offs with Ethereum on the decentralization spectrum, but um, and they're not as decentralized as Ethereum, but they would say this may, may be a case they would make or, or somebody would make. Um, but you don't have to be maximally decentralized for NFTs, for instance. Like it, mm. the use case doesn't require that. Or maybe you might say, um, like Flow is a property rights system, but it is not. It doesn't provide 
as strong security guarantees as something like Ethereum, but it does provide some security guarantees mm -hmm. that are not quite Fortnite level centralization database. Like there's a spectrum there yep. and maybe they're not all the way left to Ethereum, but they're also not all the way right to Fortnite. Right. They're kind of somewhere in between. Don't know how far in between, but somewhere in between. What's your take on that? Yeah, that the place that that, that spectrum that you're talking about the place where it should be expressed is at the layer twos of Ethereum. If you want to um, compromise on decentralization, you go to an L2 where you actually don't have to compromise on it. That's the whole point of the L2. So Optimism and Arbitrum, they have speed and low latency because of the, of the uh, innovations in, in optimistic rollups or ZK rollups if you're talking about ZK sync. Uh, and so... I no denied because like we have better <laughs> solutions well, as L2s on Ethereum where you don't have to make those compromises. How about let's say there's a bridge from flow to Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. there's, so there's a bridge from flow to Ethereum. And so flow just becomes like the L2, if you will, right. not an L2, sorry, like a side chain, side chain sure. with that bridge, that connection mm -hmm. back to Ethereum. So they get people in the NFT world. Mm -hmm. They get them excited about it. It's not a maybe a pure real NFT, mm -hmm. but then it's it has the ability to bridge across to to something like Ethereum. What's your take there? Now it's like I'll separate something because I think part of what you're reacting to is some marketing around flow and quite frankly, other layer ones that says we're just as decentralized right. as Ethereum. And you have the exact same um, you know, assurances, you know, right? Assurances, trust assurances, settlement guarantees as Ethereum. And like that's a lie. Right. And like, I think partially what you're reacting to is that I just see a world where this brings in a whole bunch of new NFT users, mm -hmm. right? Into the ecosystem. And it's kind of like, you have to start with Gemini and Coinbase first before you yeah. get into DeFi. Maybe you start with flow first. Maybe flow is just actually a, a, a side chain mm -hmm. to, to something like Ethereum. Thoughts on that? It's important as to where the token lives. Where does the NFT live? So if you have an NFT on Flow and you can bridge it over to Ethereum, if that NFT still lives on Flow, then you still have compromised trust assurances. If once you get that NFT over to Ethereum and then that token then lives on Ethereum, then we're good. Then it's an NFT because then you have the assurances that Ethereum. It's all about assurances. It's all about user sovereignty. And if an NFT on Flow, if Flow accidentally like had a hiccup in the in the blockchain or they just went away because of regulation, do you still have your asset? And in, to, in my mind, if it's on Flow, the answer is no. And if you move that token from Flow to Ethereum, but all the data still lives on Flow, right, where Ethereum is checking Flow as to whether the NFT exists or not, then it's still compromised. Ethereum needs to check Ethereum to let, see whether that NFT is real or not. And so it's a matter of where does that NFT live? And in order to be a legitimate NFT, it has to live on whatever is maximally decentralized, maximally censorship resistant, maximally permissionless. And whatever is the most maximal is the most legitimate place to issue NFTs. And that place is Ethereum. There you go, guys. I didn't know we were going to have that conversation. There was a David. full episode right there. I'm glad right we there. did. <laughs> <laughs> that was a full Mini episode podcast. within a roll-up. <laughs> All right, David, let's let's talk about this. This is uh, this is still an NFT world. Uh, Stoner mm -hmm. Cats, Myla Kunis, she has a new animated NFT show, Cats Again, mm -hmm. shutting down the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah. I don't know. I was, uh, I was actually trying to mint one of these just because I thought it'd be fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, I couldn't get my transaction through. I didn't make it. 
because there was such high demand for this. I think there are a lot of reasons for this, but like, uh, tell us about the story and what happened earlier this week. Yeah, Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher, Vitalik Buterin, and a few other big names out of the Hollywood space, all they produce like these animated short videos. And if you want to watch these, you have to own a stoner cat. And stoner cat, I think there's like 13,000 of them or something, uh, you know, generative uh, 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 cats. Uh, and, you know, tip, pretty typical NFT project, except for the fact that it's backed by these big, big name celebrities, uh, two people out of that 70s show, which was one of my favorite shows. Uh, and <laughs> gas spiked to like 600 guay because everyone was aping in all at the same time. Uh, the, this, uh, the, the sale was delayed by 24 hours because they had a bug in getting the sale contract out the door. So they delayed it by 24 hours. And then because everyone was aping in at all the same time, there was so many failed transactions. So there was something like, I think like uh, over $100,000 in cumulative like, oh, burnt, yeah. burnt I ETH. Saw, I saw a report where it was like $750,000 saved of wasted failed transactions. Yeah, 750K. Oof, that's a that's a large number of literally burnt money that went straight to the miners. So the miners are really happy. That kind of makes me concerned about like the genesis of this NFT like event because it, like it, it had a bug in the in in the day and for one day, so they kicked the sale out a day, and then a lot of people got burnt trying to buy these things. So like not really starting off with a good impression. But I mean, we'll see. These we now have Ashton insane Kutcher demand and, though, right? Sorry. Like insane demand. Insane demand. I mean, insane that, demand. Like that's the thing a, that's is, a story in itself. There were that was one of two NFT drops that had insane demand. They were not even covering the that second day. one, but but that day yeah. there were two day there were two events, two NFT drops that spiked gas like six hundred guet. I was just like, can we start doing NFT launches on layer two, please? Right. Like, when can we please. start doing that? Right. Let's just do that. Right. Listen no. to Bankless. Come on, Mila. Listen to Bankless. <laughs> come on, Bankless. Yeah. We'd love to talk list. to you, Mila. Mm-hmm. Coca-Cola creates its first collection of brand-inspired NFTs. Coca-Cola, like that is an American classic brand. Mm-hmm. That's a Warren Buffett stock. Now they're doing <laughs> NFTs. Probably not Buffett approved. Probably not. What What's the big deal about this? Is it just Coca-Cola? Yeah, it's just Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is now making NFTs on Ethereum, picking the right blockchain. So, so that's nice. Uh, and I mean, when Coca-Cola, like one of America's biggest brands ever, issues nfts is really legitimizing of the infrastructure so cool we just got a little bit more legitimate today guys also uh, the auction is donated to the special olympics international so mm. kind of cool that they're doing that as well um david people pleaser and you remember we had people play you had people pleaser on mm-hmm. the podcast wrote an article about uh her uniswap art now her digital art is on the front page of Fortune magazine. This is the digital version, and it's really bringing crypto culture, I think, into mainstream acceptance. I see crypto punk. I see some other things, unicorns and such. Oh, hang on, that's, this, that's not uh, that's not uh, just a normal crypto punk. That's a Santiago Santos. That's his crypto punk. Uh, no we way. also got the Banteg Bunny right here. Uh, we got Crypto Dog as well. Uh, we got I think that's Loom Dart in the, uh, the that you can't see with the Pepe with the the orange cap. We got Tetranode on on the DJ station. We got the um, the Kobe Bitcoin glasses, uh, and there's going to be a few other people. I, maybe that's Chainlink God. Maybe is that is that who that is? It's a green frog. I know. Yeah. That, I know uh, that. Then we got the people pleaser stars on the wall. Yeah, there's just a bunch of little Easter eggs here. Oh look, there's the fractional uh, logo from even earlier in the show. Uh, there's a no ledger way. right there. Uh, there there's logos, the compound Bitcoin logo because because shout out Robert Le- Robert Leshner. Uh, so yeah, there's a bunch of little uh, hidden gems, and so we have actual crypto Twitter, crypto culture people on the front page of Fortune magazine. Uh, so nice job, and congrats to people pleaser. 
That's super cool. Guys, not too much Bitcoin stuff, but I think all of the Bitcoin information is probably tied up in the regula regulatory discussion that we mm -hmm. want to have. Um, there's a lot of regulatory discussion in, in Washington this week. So let's start with this. Elizabeth Warren, she called crypto coders shadowy super coders. Shadowy super coders. That she was would think of us like that, huh? I just, I was like, why do you have to make it sound so cool, Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> You're just going to get more people to do it. Shadowy super coders. So did you say, uh, did you see some crypto companies, David, they started like uh, changing mm. the job, their job post descriptions to shadowy yeah. super coder? No, like, this is, this is perfect crypto great. culture. Just taking lemons and turning it into lemonade. Can I read her quote here? I'm going to read her quote. Instead of leaving our financial system at the whims of giant banks, crypto puts the system at the whims of some shadowy, faceless group of super coders and miners, which doesn't sound better to me. She's making the case against crypto in this hearing. Um, a lot of that, a lot of that this week. And then uh, all Elizabeth of crypto Warren, Twitter turned it into one gigantic meme. Yeah. Um, she also sent this letter to Janet Yellen. So Treasury Secretary, and uh, I, I won't read the whole letter, obviously. Right. Uh, it, it will be available for you in the show notes, but I want to highlight this. Risks from decentralized finance, okay? Um, she, she also tweeted this letter out, and uh, she, she called it, DeFi refers to a fast-growing and highly opaque corner Wrong. of the cryptocurrency. Man, if market. I had my soundboard, I'd be hitting the buzzer right now. Sir, highly opaque. This whole thing is called open finance. Yeah, the traditional indeed. banking system is highly opaque. Right. That's why we have open finance. That's why we are building a new system. Um, she says, given the participants and project developers may remain anonymous, DeFi could present severe financial state, uh, stability risks. So making the case that crypto could destabilize the traditional financial markets and wreck everything. I'm just kind of like, who's asking for this? I, I don't... I don't understand if this is a narrative that uh, some politicians are, are grabbing on and like there's like anti-crypto is, is um, I don't know, there, there must be some contingent of the population who just likes it, just right. like, likes hearing about this because it's not actually going to deliver any results for mm -hmm. the things the American people care about to be anti-crypto in this way. I do not understand it. And it's also coming from a very misinformed view, right? I mean, we just had index, uh, index co-op on they have their entire financial statement. Everything mm -hmm. they do, it's on chain, right? Visible, live updating, transparent. This is not opaque. Live mm -hmm. updating, like a 10k every every six seconds. You get yep. a 10k report. You could query it from anywhere. Like this is a regulator's um, this is a regulator's dream. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Right. Like they should want to build the entire American financial system on open finance, mm -hmm. so they have access to see everything and. Individual investors have access to see everything. I don't understand, David. What's going like, on? This is, it's just so easy to just refute all of this. And it, 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 like, it, you should scroll up just a little bit so I can see the rest of that paragraph. Uh, it, just, it just shows Elizabeth Warren's cards, right? An opaque financial market, uh, which leads to uh, stability risks. We are living in the, we have the most volatile crypto assets of all time. And it's the most, and everything works regardless of that. We are built for stability. It's the whole point <laughs> of over collateralization. We are built for transparency. And so this is how you know that Elizabeth Warren doesn't give a flying F about what is true about this industry, but she's trying to paint it into an image. She's trying to give it a branding, which it does not have and is completely and fundamentally the opposite of what is actually true and 
all like all of my family loves Liv Warren. I didn't vote for her. I'm a, I was a Bernie bro, and then I was a Yang guy. But I would have she would have <laughs> been she would have been third. Except every time she opens her mouth about a crypto, it's just dead wrong. And so like I finally feel resonance with like these ultra libertarians who just get frustrated about politicians coming into their industry tinkering around about shit they don't know about. Like get out of my industry. You don't know. I know more than you, Elizabeth Warren. I know more than you. Get out. Stop. Sorry. Yeah. We have some more takes on that, by the way, because I think uh, <laughs> regulatory is definitely a uh, like there's a lot of FUD over the past few weeks about this. So some more takes in the takes section. But before we get there, some other news for the week. The White House says crypto tax enforcement will help pay for this new massive bipartisan infrastructure bill. David, the biggest infrastructure bill in U.S. history, I mean, the, the biggest ever that's been proposed in the world. Uh, there's a lot of support for this in Congress, and crypto tax enforcement could pay for a portion of it. But unfortunately, do you know what this means? It means they are potentially slipping in some reporting obligations into this infrastructure tax bill. So reporting obligations above and beyond what we have today. So if you sell crypto in the US, of course, that is a, a capital gain. And you have to treat that as you would any property, you know, stock, bond, real estate, whatever it may be, right? Um, they want to go above and beyond this and potentially the wording of the legislation right now, again, this is not passed, this is like draft legislation still, is that even wallets, David, might have to report out the tax obligations of uh, wallet users. Um, potentially even maybe DeFi exchanges would need right. to report this stuff out. Like some of this is the way it's worded. It's not even practical. It's not, it's like, nonsensical. It's nonsensical. No one can do it, but there's definitely a, a target to pay for this infrastructure build. And they think they could raise $28 billion from the crypto industry with some of this, like, it's not even the, the taxes that are so much the issue. It's the nonsensical Method, it's the methodology. reporting, right. the methodology, nonsensical reporting obligations. Um, I thought Anthony Sassano yeah. had a had a good take here. <laughs> Explain this to me. Oh, yeah. So it's the uh, classic Scooby-Doo uh, who's under the mask uh, uh, meme. And so the first panel uh, we have, I, I don't know who this guy's name is, but he's, he's, he's the, the blonde guy. The monster. The, the, oh the, no! no the, the, yeah, guy, the yeah. blonde, the preppy blonde guy. He's about to rip the yeah. uh, mask off, and and before he does, it's labeled infrastructure bill, and then he rips the mask off, and under it is insane crypto regulations, implying <laughs> that's how it's going to get a, a pay for it. Yeah, that's not what like, we wanted. Regulators, Elizabeth Warren, I know you're listening to this podcast. If you want to tax this industry and actually want to get the money out of it, you have to do it in ways that make sense. Otherwise, you're actually going to get even less taxes because you're just going to piss people off about how you can't, you, the way that you are asking them to report and be taxed is nonsensical. And so you're going to incentivize people to avoid doing the things you want them to do. I, I mean, You've got to make it easy for people saying, to pay their taxes. You've got to do yeah, it the right way. Totally agree. Totally agree. Thank God we have some people in Washington like Coin Center who are pushing back in this. So the mm -hmm. Coin Center is like, I'd call them just a crypto lobby group. Right. And uh, this friends. is how- We all it, like them. Everyone likes them. Yeah. We're friends with these this guys. Is how, th this is how the, the, the bill making process like works in, in Washington. It's basically like, there'll be a section that pertains to a certain industry and the industry will, will get that section and uh, they'll essentially advise legislators on how to change things, how to edit it, how to how to make it more 
I guess, palatable for the industry, right? This is what lobbying really is. And so Coin Center is up in the mix and they are trying to make sure that nonsensical crypto tax uh, regulations don't get embedded in the bowels of this bill because this is an infrastructure bill, okay? You could either support that or not, but it's an infrastructure bill. It does not have anything to do with reporting requirements uh, for crypto or it shouldn't. And it certainly shouldn't create you know, nonsensical obligations. So we have folks like Jerry uh, Brito from Coin Center pushing back on this. And thank God we do. All right, David, we're going to burn through the rest of these really quick. Uh, the first is the Binance squeeze is ongoing. So FTX and Binance just removed their highest leverage ability. They used to have like 100x leverage. You could get on these exchanges to a maximum of 20x. Feels very much like they are trying to get on the good side of regulators with this move. Uh, Binance is also decreasing the daily withdrawal limits. So used to be without KYC. Yeah, you could you could withdraw two Bitcoin up to two Bitcoin. Now per it's day. like 0. 0.06 Bitcoin right. per day. And they right? didn't so, even give a two week notice, which they usually did, which you know is how you is how you know the regulators are constricting on them. And to me, this means Binance is largely dead. Like it's kind of why Binance was used in the first place as an anti KYC exchange. They're a yes. Yes, and, and they're definitely a bank now, right? Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. They're and so heading that Binance, direction. End of an era, definitely. Uh, Binance U.S. Uh, IPO. This is also seems to be like another defensive posture. Binance is uh, shrinking their non-KYC withdrawal limits, as we mentioned, and maybe right. it's because they want to IPO in the U.S., which would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, also. This, David, in China, there's a regulatory squeeze, Huobi, which was the largest Chinese exchange, as far as I know, um, they just dissolved all their Chinese entities. So they're no longer mm-hmm. a Chinese company. I don't know where they're going, right. but um, this is as a result of the Chinese regulatory squeeze. So again, that theme back again. Um, do you want to talk about this? What, what's yeah. Robinhood doing, David? Robinhood is trying to get into maybe DeFi, like all the DeFi products and services that we know, borrowing, lending, and swapping. Uh, Robinhood's trying to get into that. Not too many details, but they said they are eyeing crypto lending and staking services. So cool. Ahead of its Doing IPO that. as well. Yeah, ahead of their IPO. I think this is they expect this to be a revenue generator for them. Mm-hmm. Speaking of IPOs, BlockFi is also pursuing plans to go public even as regulators close right. in. So we, we mentioned that last week, regulators kind of closing in New Jersey, um, you know, called BlockFi interest accounts a, a security. Now they're planning to go to IPO, maybe in a defensive posture in some way. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly why. Um, let's talk about this last one, David. <laughs> Goldman Sachs, they just applied for a DeFi oh ETF. Goldman Sachs, they're getting into DeFi. Good news. Oh yeah, news? Let's, let's find out what's in it. Oh wait, absolutely nothing. Like it, there's good. zero crypto tokens in this DeFi ETF. Uh, and so fail, big fail. What is, what is in it? I, I heard that the highest, the, the largest asset, like 7% of the ETF was actually Nokia. Yeah. And the second Followed largest by like was Facebook and then Google. Facebook. It's basically, yes. they tasked some intern with finding any traditional equities company that has any sort of surface area to like crypto and, and blockchain and Ethereum. Yeah. And the intern did it and he still effed it up. And then now yeah. Goldman Sachs is marketing this DeFi product. Like in the same week that Index Co-op and Bankless Dow launches the Bet Index, in my opinion, the best going to be the best performing crypto index of all time, uh, Goldman Sachs just completely flops with this DeFi ETF. Who do you think now is going could, to build out the future? To be fair, one thing I will say is they're actually using this, this um, DeFi index right here from a company called um, Soul Active. 
I suppose. And this, this, these are the companies we mentioned. They could change. I don't care this. who it's from. They fucked it up. They'll, they'll maybe change it. They'll maybe change it though. Okay. Uh, they might not go to market with this. They made it somewhat vague in their SEC filing, so I will say yeah. that. But yeah, absolutely embarrassing if they go to market with that. Right. Guys, we're going to be back with the takes of the week, and don't forget the meme of the week right after our sponsors. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you are getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commission. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy to use platform and that has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and accidentally getting a bad price. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp. You can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and make an overall better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to the Arbitrum Layer 2. To keep up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter at Arbitrum and join their Discord. All right, guys, we are back with some of the hot takes of the week. David, let's start here. This was uh, from a comment Mark Zuckerberg made. Facebook, he says, is becoming a metaverse company. That's interesting in and of itself. But what's this take from Claire Silver? Yeah, in 2014, Facebook acquires Oculus VR. In 2020, Facebook released a beta for Facebook Horizon, a world creation system for Oculus. And in 2021, Facebook says they are transitioning into a metaverse company. Now, the word metaverse, I think, is it depends on who you ask. They'll define it differently. I think metaverse in this context is being more closely VR. associated with like Ready Player One type type of mm -hmm. a world. But that very world is very much like synonymous with like owning assets and digital assets. And so it's very, very proximate to a lot of the NFT conversations that we have in this industry. Uh, and so there's a take here. It's like, ooh, how do we want like our metaverse to be constructed? Do we want it constructed on open source permissionless software? Or do we want it constructed by Mark Zuckerberg? Hmm. 
Well, you, you've, I mean, I know you've seen Ready Player One, right? Right. Yeah, like there, there are all of these like tokens, money, collectibles right. in Ready Player One, items, all of these things. And so they have to be registered somewhere because they're digital property with real right. value. And so you only have like, I guess maybe three places that you could register this. One with some sort of a digital version of the nation state, right? Or, or two, it's the property of the companies. Right. It's like Facebook is the, you know, the property management system, essentially mm -hmm. the property registry, or it's a credibly neutral permissionless system, right? Like, I don't think the nation state is going to come up with a digital property rights system on the internet. Um, Facebook certainly would and, and can, but like, do we want them to? My God, Zuckerberg already knows everything about us. Like, right. do we want him holding the keys to all of the assets, right. all the digital assets, the Sounds world that are like dystopic? It does. Um, I think those are the choices, though. Good take. All right. Let's go to this one. DeFi regulation. This is from Rune Christensen on the topic we were just talking about earlier this week in the news section. Why don't you take this, David? Yeah, he says, uh, if the U.S. bans or seriously interferes with the innovation happening in DeFi, it will be an own goal 10 times worse than China cracking down on DIDI, which paralyzed innovation. Do you know what DIDI is? I don't actually. Oh, I don't. Okay. He, uh, Rune continues, DeFi today is the most rapidly innovating sector in tech, and most of that innovation is US-centric. What Rune is basically saying is that DeFi is like the last bastion of permissionless innovation for the US financial system in stark contrast with what's going on with the Chinese bank digital currency. Uh, I'm going to write an article about this because my brain's been chewing on it, but there's a conversation to be had about how many just light years ahead, the Chinese CBDC is ahead of anything the U.S. is doing or even understands itself to be doing. While China marches ahead with this super innovative new product, and so is DeFi, the United States is just floundering, like doing it's status like, quo. It's doing nothing. It's, it's, it's not. It's not it's even so doing nothing. Sense. It's going backwards, like yeah. hindering the uh, hindering its biggest ally, and that is why Rune is calling this. Uh, Bad or bad regulation around DeFi could be the United States' own goal. They need DeFi to combat the Chinese bank's digital currency, yet they are trying to like tax it in these weird, nonsensical ways. It's absolutely insane, and I couldn't agree more with this take, David. And you absolutely should write that article because it it maddens me. I like the U.S. has a real shot here, and free, open, permissionless systems have a real shot here to pull ahead. And like Rune's right, a lot of this has been built in the U.S. There's a hotbed for DeFi innovation. And if the US regulators and those in government start to strangle, like choke out this industry, what are they doing? Squandered opportunity, missed opportunity, just completely hijacking, um, you know, basically our generation, future generations. So I, I totally agree. David, crypto economies are booming right now. Crypto gaming economies, I should say. And this is a take from Token Terminal that only crypto enables in-game economies. Mm -hmm. So revenue for Axie Infinity was $1.2 uh, That's annualized for the last 30 days. Um, remember Candy Crush, mm -hmm. $1.2 That was first realized in 2020. So the users for Axie are 600,000. Users wow. for Candy Crush are 230,000. Um, 7 million revenue per user for Axie is 2000 per user revenue per user for Candy Crush 4.4 dollars. You know where the difference uh, in those numbers comes from? 
is, is because the Axie users get that revenue where the they Candy get the Crush revenue. users- GDP. It goes Economies the, have GDP. Exactly, exactly right. Uh, where a Candy Crush, that just goes to the corporate holdings. Yeah, Let's it's take. super cool. I can't, I can't wait to see what's going to happen in crypto gaming in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, D David, this is a take from Anthony Sassano. ETH is digital oil, and then he lists a table with the market cap of all of these commodities, including oil, which price per unit, uh, $65, market cap of... I guess that's uh, 107 billion. That, that's going to be okay. That's going to be billion. So it's 107 trillion. No, that's 107 billion. Is that, no, that's 107,000 that? billion. Yes, 107,000 right? billion. That's I weird. guess that's weird. I don't know. Look at the chart. <laughs> Let's look at the chart. <laughs> look at the chart. So if if the bottom line is if ETH price were the same market cap of oil, ETH price would be nine thousand. Uh, yeah, $932,000, uh, which is quite impressive. Um, right. I just overall enjoy the comparison of Ether to other commodities. You know, one of three ways to value Ether is of as of a commodity. And even that's only one of three ways, it's still so incredibly undervalued compared to other commodities, at least in Ethereum's current form. So, uh, you know, a lot, like we got a long way to go before Ether starts to get up there with the rest of the commodities. Yeah, I, I, I like that take. And I don't want to take it too seriously because that's probably just the take is what you said. But I also think that um, like Ether is more the money and block space, Ethereum block space is more the commodity. Right. So I get the analogy, but also like ETH is not oil. ETH is money. Ethereum right. block space is oil. But the value but of the also, block space is instantiated in Ether though. There you go. There yeah. you go. I'll buy that. <laughs> All right, David, it's that time, man. What are you excited about this week? Hey, I'm like tr trying to make lemons out of lemonade. I guess I've said that three times in the show, but like, hey, I got coronavirus, but I got the coronavirus after I got the vaccine. And so like once I come out of this and once I come out of quarantine, I'm going to have the vaccine and the antibodies. I'm basically going to be Superman. And so once I'm done <laughs> with it, once with my quarantine time, uh, I'm going to be stoked to travel go back the world. into the real life and travel the world even more protected. There you go. But yeah, That's specifically awesome, in that order is the right order to do things. First, the vaccine and then getting the antibodies. I don't recommend the alternative order. I'm just glad you're feeling okay. Yeah, that could have okay. been brutal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ryan, Not what are you fun. excited about? I'm excited about EIP 1559. Shocker. Look, we are a week away. Look, it's by the time people are listening to this, we'll be like six days away mm -hmm. from EIP 1559, mm -hmm. maybe five days away from yeah. EIP 1559. And it's finally happening. So we are burning ETH. We are entering the ultrasound money era. This is the first part of that era where we start to burn ETH. The one thing I've I've uh, thought was missing from Ethereum this entire time was not like the community, not like the uh, product market fit. We've had all of those things. It's been monetary policy, issuance policy of Ethereum. What does the issuance policy look like in the future? That is the one thing, in my opinion, David, that has prevented Ethereum and ETH the asset from gaining mindshare as a store of value, popular mindshare as a store of value. Well, now that's getting fixed. Now it's getting changed. We're going to have a monetary policy that creates ultrasound money out of ETH the asset. And the first step of that is EIP 1559. So look, ultrasound summer, it's kicking off this summer. Then we get the merge, which uh, drops proof of work issuance. We get an issuance reduction of like 4%. And it's like, it's all coming together, but it's finally happening. That's why I'm excited. EIP 1559 is the biggest Ethereum event, certainly since uh, staking the and yeah. the beacon chain launched, but in a, it's different than that. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it's bigger than that, 
but it is uh, almost as important, maybe just as important as that, I would say. Yeah. And to, to rally off of that, I'm also excited for all the cool numbers and metrics and just the th- data we get to look at due to EIP 1559. Oh, burn data? Yeah, yeah. burn data. Yeah. Uh, I wrote about Real this forever ago in my, uh, the uh, last final puzzle piece to Ethereum's monetary policy. Not only do we get ETH burn rate, we get the ETH burn to issue ratio. Just so many new metrics like unlock for us to like to be able to talk about and digest. And the more things like that, the more real it becomes. Uh, and so that's my, what I'm excited about, about what you're excited about. <laughs> all right, man. I know we're both excited about that. So, uh, all right, let's talk about this meme of the week. Meme what of the are we week, at, David. Uh, we got. I actually don't know the movie. This came out of Chief Hillary Culturist Duff. Mike um, uh, Hilly Duff. But yeah, but what's the movie? Uh, I don't know. It's I don't a movie know. where she's a twin. I think. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The chief culturist Michael Wong over at at Bankless. He uh, he understands things way beyond uh, we, even we do at sometimes. But this is Hillary Duff holding hands with I think who is also Hillary Duff, and it's Ethereum yeah. <laughs> holding hands with Ethiopia because Ethereum is an inclusive community, and that if we get branded with Ethiopia as Ethiopia, we're gonna run with it. So uh, Ethereum, best friends with Ethiopia. Coming up next is our moment of Zen featuring a song about Superfizz from the ETH Stakers community. This is a story of Superfizz And how he's trying to get a stone or a cat And with a snap of in the gas limit Sweetheart, honey, oh. 